Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back to the BJJ Brick Podcast. This is episode 282. Today we're talking about jujitsu, big and small. My name is Byron. I'm here with my good buddies Joe and Gary. Joe, how's it going? It's going good. You know, this episode is sort of like the eight is bookmarked between a two and a two. Like Gary and I, we both have two nipples. Byron, how about you? <laughs> right in there at the eight mark. Uh, and and <laughs> Gary, how are you doing, my man? You know, I'm doing good. You know, this episode we're going to talk about big and small jujitsu. But we can also talk about big and small other stuff like nipples. Sometimes some people have three. Sometimes they have a minor surgery and, and make it smaller and only have uh, 2.1. So uh, uh, how do you feel about that, Byron? Uh, I feel like immediately I have to do some explaining. <laughs> <laughs> if if you are if this is your first episode, welcome to the show. We're going to talk about jiu-jitsu and have a great time doing it. If you listened to last week's episode... A lot of this is making sense. <laughs> uh, Gary and Joe uh, locked me out of the studio and recorded a show without me. Or possibly my schedule didn't line up very well and they had to record without me. Fan- I loved the episode. It was great. But they did tell a little bit of information about me uh, having a extra nipple or two or eight. I guess it would be six if I have eight total. Uh, and And how that was going. And so that's the price you pay when you don't show up to the show is you get some stories made up about you or some truth revealed about you that you really were trying to keep hidden (laughs) underneath a thick shirt or sweater. (laughs) And you'll never know if it was uh, a story or if it's truth. Yeah, there's really not much I can do about it. So uh, that's what happened last episode. Go listen to it. I I, uh, enjoyed the interview. I I participated in that. (laughs) But the uh, beginning and end of the show – was done by Jerry and uh, Jerry, Gary and Joe combined together. Ben and Jerry, Jerry, that's what's happening. I really did enjoy that episode. You guys did great, and Phil. Uh, Any time I could just say, "Hey, you know what? I can't make it this weekend or during the recording session," and and we're gonna have a great show. Possibly even well, the better welcome show, back, buddy. Oh, that's too nice. <laughs> we're not that nice on the show. <laughs> I think, I think this is an important episode. We we talk about this quite a bit, rolling with a bigger person, or if you're a bigger person, rolling with a smaller person, and, and how to how to do things properly. This is important, and it you know it causes you know frustrations. It causes you know maybe you're slow you're training to slow down a lot of different things. So we're going to cover some of these and help us help everybody out really because who doesn't have like a really big training partner or who doesn't have a really small training partner compared to you. Or several of them. If you're the the big person in the gym, you get, everybody's tiny, and uh, you got to learn how to train properly in order to get the most out of your mat time. Yeah, especially when you're new, coming in. If if you're a, a bigger guy and you come in, and there's a bunch of young, quick guys. It can be hard to get used to. Or if you're a small person, you come in, it can be very intimidating. But learning how to grapple with people of different sizes is not the only thing you'll need to learn in your first year of BJJ. So I would suggest if you are new to jiu-jitsu, check out Byron's audiobook, Your First Year in BJJ. He's got plenty of helpful tips that will help you learn everything from how to choose the right school, how to be prepared for class, 
Byron, what else is in this book? One of the things I, I like is kind of helping them uh, set expectations for the first day, the first week, month, and and that sort of thing. Because it's it's tough to start something like this. If you just think, what was the last thing you started as an adult? Like a few years ago, I think maybe just a year ago, I took my first skiing class like on snow. Uh, and it was hard, and, and parts of it were a little intimidated. I, it was all new to me, 100% new to me. But at no point was anybody trying to uh, smash me or make me physically uncomfortable or do something, uh, you know, put my arm in a compromised position. None of that was even on the table. And in jiu-jitsu, so you have this whole new challenge of starting something new, and then the thing you're starting <laughs> is a lot of times uncomfortable physically or maybe socially for you. And so helping you get through those things I think is one of the biggest uh, hurdles that the book will, should help you with for the, the very new people because some people, you come in, you try it once or twice, and you, it doesn't really click for you, and you're gone. And if it would have clicked just a little bit you know, a little bit differently, get those ears lined up just right, you'd have found a hobby you love for life. And so I think that this this helps that happen a little bit more. Byron, and I see when I'm training with you and there's a new person who comes in, you know, I've mentioned this before, but you're always that first person uh, over there talking to that person, introducing yourself. But I always hear you talk about what to expect. And, um, you know, I've even seen you talk to people getting ready to go to their first class and and you tell them what to expect what to bring and and like you said it's a lot better chance that that person stood here a year later and you know graduate from the uh first year of bjj to your second audiobook six games for bjj so uh you know we want to keep people on the mats uh, rolling we want to keep them past the first year and we want to make this a lifelong journey there we go we'll put links to the uh, audiobooks in the show notes, guys. Thanks for the plugs. The money goes and helps support the podcast and help us do what we're doing. And uh, it's been a big help so far. Yeah. You know, Byron, that's what I like about you. You know, you've always been a man on a mission and, and you don't set just limitations. You know, it's somebody <laughs> that I've always modeled myself after. Oh, yeah. You know, um, get the yeah. other ones, Gary. I caught you. You can't say the words "man on the mission" is like a red flag, or like Gary's literally naming some of the games that are in the book, trying to sneak stuff by me. Uh, I like it, Gary. Good try. But Byron is too smart. You know, he just took me around and just ragdolled me, made me look like I was a backwards grappler. <laughs> well Did done. You six of those in there, Gary. I haven't got Nike method in there. <laughs> okay. Well, you just did. Congratulations. Just do it. <laughs> Good. Oh man, uh, yeah, that's a that's the other audio book. <laughs> I'm going to transition, <laughs> not so smoothly, kind of a crunchy style of peanut butter or, or chunky style of peanut butter transition over here to the off the mat lesson. This is the thing we learn, some you know something off the mat, or maybe something we learn on the mat and we take it to the other side and uh, try to learn something to to benefit us. And uh, it's pretty simple in here, guys. I was. Uh, reading something and I hate to say it, but I forgot what it was and basically it was saying talking about learning and, and retention and if you read something like if you read a book in reality you retain about 1 to 5% of that book not a whole lot so the, there's value in going back and reading the book again sometime and trying to reabsorb some information or maybe 
it hits you uh, more appropriately for what time in your life you are. Uh, easy thing. If you were to book on jujitsu, like whatever, and like part of the section is, is attacks from mount. And your mount attacks are not existent because you're always playing on your back. Like that whole section, you could read it, and it wouldn't really benefit you at the time in your life. But if you read it again, and, and you had maybe a better attacks from mount, you know, you, you were able to get there, that would hit you better. Or maybe there's just too much information to actually be able to remember all the important things. Anyway, so you remember 1% to 5% of what you read. And how could, how could we, besides going back and reading things over and over again that are important to us, how could we adjust things to where the important things that we read actually can affect our lives in a beneficial way? The easiest way that I can think of is that you should act on the things that you read when they when you read them and they're you know okay this is important this is something that could help me start acting on it right then you don't have to remember it you just do it and then the the process is set in uh, so it's the same thing in jitsu if Gary's teaching me uh, an escape from mount today and uh, okay I like this is perfect for me because this is the type of mount I get stuck in this is a, a big problem for me today I I go and roll with Joe and I'm trying to pass a half guard for five minutes okay that's fine and I go roll with Gary and I'm uh, playing in you know his, his you know he's always wearing the gi so we're playing spider guard for five minutes I didn't remember to do any of what Gary showed me so if you learn something that, that seems to be valuable think of it like you know what in reality there's like a one to five percent chance I'll remember this I need to act on it now so it, I should when I go grab Joe either start in mount or just happen to end up on the bottom of mount so I could work this escape. Same thing when I go to grab Gary to roll. I need to get there in these positions. When you learn a new technique in class, you don't always have to go try to train it uh, in every rolling session, but if it feels like something that would be good for you, you should definitely test it out while you're live rolling, if you can. First of all, I never had any clue when you're talking about reading a book that you only retain 1% to 5%. I would have thought it would have been much higher than that. Um, well, it was specifically about think. me in my memory. <laughs> okay. No. I'm probably more like a zero to 4%. Um, but I, I do like it that you're trying to get those percentages up higher. And one way to get the percentage up higher is just do it. Um, the Nike method. <laughs> um, hey, Joe, I got it in there. <laughs> there you go. Um, Joe, Gary, I, I, Gary, I, I wanted, you, you got it in there yes. twice. <laughs> Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> um, but hey, I, I I wanted to talk about what you were just saying there. Um, you were talking about just go out and do it, you know, practice it. You're going to retain it better. Uh, you know, like you said, don't do it just every time, but make sure you're actually working it. And Friday night, I just happened to be going through my feed on Facebook and I saw a video and I don't remember who it was by just a little short video. And, and normally I like the longer videos that go in depth, but this was a real quick video, maybe a minute or two. And, uh, it just talked about Gordon Ryan's back control about how he, he rolls to the underhook side. And I'm always the guy I roll to the, or to the, you know, top hook side, overhook side, I guess the choking side. But, um, you know, I kind of thought it was unique when I was watching a, a way to roll one way and a, a trap the, the top arm. And so I rolled Saturday for two hours, and I probably 
took the back and rolled to the underhook side that I never rolled to probably a good 50 times. And, um, telling you, I, that move was working for me and, you know, just going over and over and over it again, uh, just made a, a big difference in my game. I would let it go and then I would get us in a scramble position and, and I just kept trying to go for the back. And as soon as I, and probably for the last half hour, my training partner and I, we just started on each other's back too. So, uh, I got a lot of, uh, practice with it, but I think I really retained a lot of it just by doing what you said there, Byron. If you had to watch that or, or read about that, and then watch five other videos or read five other articles or whatever, you probably would have forgot it. It's gone. Yep, it's gone. This is a great life lesson. I I love the idea that uh, you know we just don't retain everything, whether it's what we read or what we hear or what we see. We just don't retain everything. And I like the idea of trying to figure out as many ways as you can to reinforce the things that you learn. And, uh, you know, I've always heard that teaching something is a great way for you to learn awesome. it better or, or to, to cement it in. And, and that's something I always encourage people to do. If you go to a seminar, first thing you do when you get back on the mat, when you go back to your home school, find a friend that you think would benefit from what you learned and say, Hey, let me show you what I learned from the seminar. And that way you're sharing the information with your friend, which is a great thing, but it also reinforces everything that you learned at that seminar. Joe, that's a great trick also, and I found that has helped me um, get better at it. Um, same thing, like you said, uh, teaching it. Um, Byron, going back to your 1 in 5% you know, numbers that you were talking about, and you were talking about you know, if it's a book or a movie or a DVD, you know, you know, watch it over. You know, instead of just watching it once, you may watch it again. And you know, that's one thing I do is you know, not just on the mats, but I'll read a book you know, three or four times. It seems like the same books I read, uh, you know, once every year, a book I really like, but, uh, it made me start thinking about like my BJJ fanatics account where, uh, you know, you have a, uh, uh, video up there, um, you know, the videos you've ordered and, and it may be a, you know, four disc video system that you're watching and, and, you know, it takes me years, you know, months to get through one of those. I don't just rush all the way through it. You know, right now I'm working on uh, John Donahue's Enter the Camorra, and I've had it now for a month, and I'm still only on uh, session two. Um, so, and but even I'm still going back to the the first disc and and everything of that sort. So um, uh, I think it's I think you made a good point there too. Is you know read it again, uh, you know put it away and. And, you know, the move may not be something that you're working on now or maybe a little advanced or or not what you're, you know, working on at this time. But down the road, it's definitely going to come up um, and it's something to revisit and go back and learn again. And the, the part of the problem with this, uh, retaining one to five percent may not be a problem at all. But uh, in this day and age, we're hit with so much information, literally as much as you could take in, even just about the topic of jiu-jitsu. You could, you could sit there and take in jiu-jitsu information 24 hours a day and, and not see anything new. Like, it, there is so much information out there about jiu-jitsu. So you have to filter that as well. But the, the thing that I think I got most of it all, when you find something that's good, something that fits you well, not that some stuff is good or bad or whatever, but some stuff, like this Kimura thing Gary's you know, studying, that really isn't my game. So it's going to affect Gary's game in a way more significant manner than it would my game. So he's found something that he could latch onto and work with 
a lot. So he's going to he's going to study that a, a couple of times more and more and and uh I think that's the thing is to be able to identify what is important to study and filter out all the other noise and all the other, you know, extra nipples out there. <laughs> And, uh, and and that that's big because you can't study everything all the time. It's just there's just too much stuff out there. So uh, I just thought that was interesting. I don't think there's anything you could do about like changing, you know, like suddenly getting a, a way better memory or whatever. But if you find something that is important, hit it again, <laughs> relearn it, do it again, and uh, and help bring that in. Or if it's important on the mat, you know. Get it while you're rolling. You know, re- take those notes and read over them again, and try it again next time you roll. So, uh, we got to work with what you got, and if what you got is a one to five percent memory retention, work with that. That's not the end of the world. <laughs> We're all there, I guess. Joe, I know you've talked about previously about the basics of jujitsu, and I think it was you talking about uh, an app, maybe from. Stefan Kesting, maybe, uh, you know, it, it just went kind of back over the basic movements of, you know, jujitsu and, and how just going back over, you've learned so much from it. Was that, did you, did you say that Joe, or was I thinking of somebody else? That, that was me. It was uh Stefan Kesting's app, uh, BJJ fundamentals. And yeah, it, uh, I didn't really know what to expect when I downloaded it. I thought maybe it would be some fundamental techniques, but it was all about the fundamental movements. And, um, and speaking of you only remember a small percentage of what you um, see when a technique is taught, this app is like the building blocks of every technique. You know, you you use shrimping or a technical stand-up or a, a, a bridging motion. You use these movements and just about every jujitsu technique every sweep every pass you can think of so um yeah i wonder if that's kind of key recognizing you only retain a small percentage of what you learn and so learning to focus on what is going to be most beneficial to you i think gary's retaining more things because he's always remembering things that we've talked about in the past <laughs> yeah well you know i think uh as you're a little bit older, your myelin gets a little bit bigger and stronger. So, uh, you know, I think I got a few hundred years on you, Byron. So I think that's the difference. I think it just gets a little thicker and things move a little more slowly. It's <laughs> <laughs> bogged down into molasses. That's right. Myelin molasses. We've got a, a quote this week here to move off the, uh, off the mat lesson. <laughs> Uh, it's from the book Master Jiu-Jitsu, Master Life. It's by our friend uh, Paul Kinzia. He's been on the show fairly recently. And uh, gentlemen, if you have the book, page 11. <laughs> Ladies at home as well, not just you two gentlemen here. But uh, the quote will be found on page 11. Let me thumb through it here. Do not be misled. You will suffer along the way. You will have failures and setbacks. You will have to learn to overcome these failures. However, it is the process of personal improvement that will transform you as an individual. And that's that's really the process of jujitsu and how it changes us because we we do have failures and setbacks a lot. That's I think that's part of what we crave in jujitsu is is to get something that we could struggle against and then eventually overcome things. And we we need these these challenges that uh, maybe we don't accomplish. Maybe your challenge your challenge is to become 
you know, some world champ. Maybe you don't accomplish that. But, like, you do see you, you rise to many challenges in jiu-jitsu, and mo- a lot of them are meetable. You know, it might be the next belt level. It might be, you know, adding a certain technique to your uh, repertoire of, of moves that you have. So, but along the way, there's a lot of, fa- like, failures and setbacks. And these help change and, uh, and mold you on and off the mat. Yeah, I've always thought that was uh, one of the values of youth sports. If a kid plays baseball for four or five years and he just lucks into being on a team that has success every year and he's a natural at it, there'll be some value there. But I think the kid that uh, gets on a team, they have some ups and downs, some winning seasons, some losing seasons, some tough patches. I think those are the kids that really benefit from youth sports. And so certainly the same is true as we grow older. But that becomes something that's sort of missing from our lives as adults. We we tend to, by nature, steer away from things that are going to cause us difficulties and things that we're going to fail at. So putting something like jujitsu in our lives as adults uh, allows us to continue to reap those benefits and to grow from failures and struggles and overcoming those things. That's a great quote, Byron. Joe, I like what you're talking about, about youth sports. And uh, this winter... Uh, my son's basketball team has yet to win a game. Uh, a big 0-8 right now. And he's played on some teams that have been very good. And so this is kind of a uh, uh, first time he's ever played on a winless team. And, you know, I, he's just learned so much from it. You know, different things like, uh, you know, it just seemed like he was used to winning. But, you know, his team is really bad, but it's cool because I'm getting to watch them improve each and every week. But my son, who's played for many years, has to learn, you know, different things like leadership because he's played, you know, much longer than anybody else on this team. So, uh, you know, that's something that he never had before. He's now got to take these guys, being the guy with the most experience, and uh, show them, you know, how to get to that next level, what you need to do. And, um, you know, I could look at it as a, as a failure because they haven't won any games. But what I see is I see my kid has grown a lot, and I see the team as a whole from you know the first game to the eighth game has just grown tremendously. And and they may finish zero and sixteen, but they're going to be uh, they they've learned a lot. So even halfway through the season, I've just seen a seen a big difference of the majority of the players. Man, that is, you said a lot there, Garrett. I can think of a lot of parents that would pull the kid off of the team and want them to be on a, on a winning team sooner or later. And it's just the nature of life. Uh, kids, adults, whoever, are going to be hit with some things that are difficult to deal with. And if, if the lessons he learns as a kid on a team that's not performing all that great help him deal with some struggles in adult life, Man, you, you you can't buy better lessons than that. And 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 whether hoping his struggles are are you know nothing major, but you know you want him to be able to have the tools to deal with the challenging setbacks in life and to keep rising to those occasions and get get through those things the best that he can. And I think that that giving him this experience of being on a team that's that's eight and zero or zero and eight, and having somebody like Gary probably coach this guy. <laughs> no, uh, they would be eight no if somebody else coached them. I think that's their issue. You know, my guys play. They, you know, their defense. They butt scoot and they're a little bit slower. So I think that could be our issue. Ah, uh, they're out there butt scooting and heel hooking. 
Yep. <laughs> but I just but think they're that they're not raping. We're the, playing IBJJF rules. The, the, the lessons and, and, and building that grit in those kids. Um, hopefully all, all those kids grow up and, and live like, you know, great lives that, you know, nothing really too crazy happens to them. But some kids, you know, some people end up having lives just, it's a bit out of control, whether, you know, your loved ones get sick or, you know, like there's so much out of our control and to have the tools to deal with setbacks and to rise to the occasion and to, and to just meet them with the best that you can, you know, you're dealt a hand, play with that hand and, and do your best. And I think, um, teaching these kids to play in this environment is teaching them not to fold, not to give up and to just keep working. And that's a, I mean, that's a great lesson. And that's like what Paul's talking about in this, in this book with this quote here. And definitely check the book out. I know Byron, uh, Joe, and I have all read it. It's an incredible book, and it's not just a jujitsu book. It, it's uh, every lesson. He basically takes lessons from jujitsu in life and and brings them either on or off the mat, kind of like what we do with our off the mat lesson. But um, it helps you both on the mat and in life. Yep, and I got a whole bunch of highlights in this book. And and uh, next time we need another quote. Pull the book back out, and we're doing it again. Well, guys, should we roll the uh, interview? Oh, wait a minute. There's no interview this week. Why is that, uh, Joe? This is our topical episode, and this week we will be talking about big and small jujitsu. Byron, I assume when you sent these show notes out to us, we're talking about uh, guys that come in, and they tend to be on the bigger side and how they approach jujitsu and then there's athletes coming in there on the smaller side, and we're going to talk about how they might best approach jujitsu. Is that what we're getting out this week? Basically, yeah, and, and all things in between, <laughs> rolling with each other, <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, yeah. Because I was going to say we can't leave out the average size jujitsu person. Gary always claims that. We all know it's not true. Yeah, that, good point, Gary. <laughs> Thank you. I just deny your your side your claim of being an average sized grappler. I don't know how to lay down any thicker than that. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is to to get back to uh, something more serious. You guys are both uh, sort of in the middle range there, so I think for guys that are in that uh, five foot nine to six foot range and uh, one seventy to two hundred pounds. You you get a turn at being both the bigger grappler and the smaller grappler, so um, that is an interesting topic to cover as well. Never really thought of it that way, Joe. But yeah, you're correct. Uh, you know, we got some bigger guys to go against and some smaller guys. So and we can be the bigger or smaller person. So uh, never really thought of it, but I like that style. Yeah. So it, the, the 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 first idea I have here is training and how to adapt training uh, based on which category you fit in. An important thing that we don't always think about on the mats, um, and, and some of that depends on the culture of the of the gym you're at, is that you both should be gaining something from every role. And if you are – we didn't need to just pick a weight. Like let's just say 260. That's our big person today. If you're 260 – and you're only with somebody who's 120 pounds, you need to find a way to to get better at jujitsu training with this person and also for the other person to gain some knowledge and experience in jujitsu as well, rolling with you. 
It it should not be a one-sided relationship with, you know what, I could smash this person and work on my uh, Americana the entire training session. That's not productive for really either of you. And the, the reverse is I'm going to lay there. I'm, I'm so much bigger than this person. I'm going to lay there and just let them just attempt things the entire time. That's not really beneficial either. So we need to find ways that you could both train and it'd be beneficial. I agree. I think one of those ways is for the the better grappler of the two or the bigger grappler because whoever kind of is going to be able to dictate the positions to to put the grapplers in a position, um, an example would be the bigger guy pulling guard. You know, and then he's going to play guard. He's he's actually going to work at it. If he gets a sweep, then he's going to give the smaller guy space to get his guard back. He's going to try a pass that maybe is new to him, knowing that he may get swept, and then he ends up back on his back. So I, I think that's probably the key to doing this is to uh, for the bigger guy to put himself in a position where he, he's fighting from a disadvantage, sort of like one of the six games of BJJ maybe. That's that's a great uh, simple one. Is uh, if you're the if you're the bigger, stronger person, or the 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 balance is off tipped by skill level, and you're way more skilled, let them work a position that it just sets a tone. You're not trying to murder them, <laughs> and and they might feel that with your guard. But odds are, if you're two sixty and you're pulling guard on somebody who's one hundred and twenty, they should feel like you're not trying to just smash them into the mats like that. Clearly, that's probably not what's going on here. Now, if you come at them with a real aggressive guard or whatever, uh, that that might change. It's not the position only. But just setting kind of the tone as we're going to work here. And you know what? That person can work a technical guard pass and try to get through that guard. And and the the bigger person can work some technical attacks and try to try to do some get some things going that they want to do. Now, is it the best thing for them to like, oh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of create some space and, and get out, up to my feet and, and push them down for an easy sweep. Probably not the wisest uh, things to select to work on. But if you want to, you know, try to, uh, you know, control an arm and, and spin for an arm bar, you know, in a way that you're not just totally dominating that arm with your strength, but you're raising, getting your hips in the right position and all these things that make it, uh, make it good. It's so, it is difficult to be, like if you roll with a kid, like that that's the category. I'm in. If I'm rolling with somebody who is smaller than me by that much of a margin, it's a child. <laughs> Cause I am I'm a little under I think one eighty. And and so, you know, there's not a lot of eighty pound people walking around. And so like we're looking at rolling with kids. I, I want them to work on things and I want to also I could still work on things with those kids. I could set up some combinations and, and, and work on, you know, different things that I'm doing and I think we both can get a good roll. You know, Byron, you're talking about rolling with somebody who's a uh, hundred pounds lighter than you. Um, and one thing I've noticed, like if I do roll with with kids, you know, let's say my own son, who were like a hundred pound difference there, is it makes me roll really technical because I don't want to smash smash my son. You know, I want to have uh, I want my son to grow up and uh, you know live a healthy <laughs> life. <laughs> but um, no, be able to I, walk. <laughs> yeah. But that's one thing, you know, I've noticed that works great is um, I I really try to be soft but technical. You know, I don't want to smash them. And it it really helps my game out and helps my movement. And then, you know, 
I will let him grab a single leg and, you know, throw me to the ground. And, you know, you're talking about maybe going for an arm bar, being the heavier guy. Like I will then go for an arm bar. I'll get everything in good position, but you know, I'll let him work, you know, let's say in hitchhiker escape or, or stuff from there. And, uh, you know, I found out that I can have really good roles with my son who weighs, you know, a hundred less pounds. I, I can't say that he's having good roles with me. I don't know if it, it's as beneficial to him, but, uh, you know, just how you roll and, and what's, what's on your mind and, and what you're working on can, you know, even if you're the much bigger guy, you can, uh, get a lot out of it. Before we move on, I just want to say one thing for the big fellows out there. If you get an actual fight or you get into, uh, uh, competing with guys, your own weight class, you are going to need to know how to apply pressure. You're going to need, need to know how to use your size and your strength to pin people to the mats. So if you're 240, 250, you may not have a lot of guys in your gym that are in your weight class. But when you get guys that are even close to your weight class and they're athletic and maybe they're a belt above you, don't be afraid to use that opportunity to work on your pressure. Just because you're the biggest guy doesn't mean you always play the bottom position or you always play from a disadvantage. You do need to develop the skill of pinning and controlling your opponents. I do think it is really hard for the bigger guy. Um, the bigger guy is going to come in and, and, you know, people are going to be like, Hey, don't use your strength. Um, you know, don't do this. Don't do this. You're hurting me, you know, so-and-so. And I do think that can limit the bigger guy's growth. Um, you know, they're so afraid of hurting people, so afraid of smashing people. Don't want to hear people, you know, oh, you're just bigger than me or you're just using your strength. And I have seen some big guys who don't really have a lot of big guys to roll with and they're always playing the bottom or, you know, they're playing a really, you know, loose, soft game. And then they go to a tournament or, or somebody their own size comes in and they have major trouble. And so I don't know. It just seems like it'd be very hard to be the big guy. You know, people like to go out and smash and, and, you know, if you try to smash people, you know, could get upset or, you know, start complaining and then it's going to, you know, stall your game. And that's what I like about the points you just gave there, uh, Joe, you know, you, you can't always be the guy who pulls guard. You can't always be the guy going soft. You have to, uh, you know, work on your pressure, know how to pin somebody down, know how to, uh, know how to actually get out, uh, from the bottom or, or sweep people with another guy, your same size or heavier on top of you. Yeah. And you're not only benefiting yourself. I, I, I walk around around two thirty, which is, in that big guy category, especially since I'm not 5'10". Um, and w when I roll with guys that are 170, 190, and that, especially they're younger, you know, I'm 51 years old, I'll roll with them most of the round, and we'll go back and forth, and I won't really use my weight. But at some point, I'll put them on the bottom, and just for a little bit, just for a minute or two, you know, I'll I'll work on, on pressure. I'll, I'll try and see where my pressure is and, and learn a little about it. But they're also benefiting, too, because they're feeling that pressure and they're learning how to create some space and how to breathe and how to be comfortable in that situation. I like what you said there, Joe. I used to have this training partner who would uh, fight uh, MMA at 265, but he would weigh 285 to 300 normally. And I used to train with him a lot. And it really helped me because he would smash me. And um, 
you know, I just looked at it that no matter who I went against, I, I've already felt probably the most pressure I can feel. I'm, you know, everything else is going to be easy compared to what I went against against this person. But, uh, yeah, so I, I think it's good for, you know, you to let that pressure on people, you know, give it to them a little bit, you know, you don't have to kill the person the whole round, but kind of like what you do, you know, give it to them, let them feel it, let them see what they can do. And, and if you can, you know, get out of the pressure, somebody weighs 230, you know, you're probably gonna have a better chance of 160, but it doesn't necessarily go like that. Cause Byron, you know, weighs 160, 170. I don't know what you weigh Byron, but your pressure feels like you weigh like 487 pounds. I hide the weight. Well, I also think here, here's a kind of a good rule to play by if you're a bigger guy and you want to be nice to your opponents. And I try and do this. If I get a top position and I'm using my weight and I'm using my pressure and I'm going for a submission, if I can't get it in 60 seconds, 90 seconds, and all I'm doing is smashing the guy, I'll either relent and give them space to improve their position or I'll try something else. I'm not just going to continue to smash and chase a submission that obviously they're defending well. And that's when I think you get to the point where neither of us are getting much out of the round. I like that, Joe. And I do the same thing uh, with like chokes. If I'm trying to choke and uh, Joe, I've got you locked up in a Dars and I feel like, okay, this is in and 20 seconds goes by, 30 seconds goes by. Usually I like, you know, it's not in like I thought it was. I usually let go and I say, hey, man, I'm sorry. I thought that was in a lot tighter than it was. I didn't mean to crank on your neck or face for that long. <laughs> like, <laughs> if it's not going to work, like, you should move on, you know? And, and I think that the it, for, for the smaller grapplers, you, you might look at the bigger grapplers and think, like, it's frustrating to always roll with these big people. It's just jujitsu is easier for them, and it's like it like they could just kind of force things through sometimes. And in reality, I think a lot of times jujitsu is harder for them to learn because they have to uh, because they are kind of cheating some of the system sometimes. And and like as far as technically against somebody their own size and strength, they they might be learning a little slower than if than the people who get to roll with stronger people all the time. Like if everybody you rolled with was 20% stronger than you all the time, your technique would be better. You would be probably a little quicker. Like like a lot of things would boost. Just imagine the reverse. Everybody you rolled with was 20% smaller and weaker than you. That's going to introduce some problems to your rolling. And so you've got to, as a larger grapplers, you've got to find ways to get uh, that good training and a lot of it is is how you treat your training partners and uh, and how they feel. Like if you if you're there, standing there at two sixty, and everybody pairs off, and you're standing there by yourself as the odd man out. Okay, that happens. To everybody it happens again <laughs> and again. Like it's a regular thing. You know what? Maybe people aren't really wanting to roll with you because you're probably rolling a bit too hard. And like you could say, yeah, toughen up, guys. Whatever. But the reality is you're missing rounds because you're, you're using too much of your weight. You're not uh, – maybe they don't feel safe rolling with you. And that's a big thing for me. If I don't feel safe rolling with somebody, I don't roll with them. And I'm fortunate at Fox. Everybody who I train with at Fox, everybody who's a member at Fox Fitness, I feel safe rolling with them. And, and <laughs> that's, I'm glad I, I could say that. But if, if I don't feel safe with them, I tell them, you know, I feel like you're a little reckless sometimes with your training partner's you know, safety or whatever. And and that sort of thing, but uh, that's a different conversation. <laughs> but 
I don't know. It's, it's you have to fight that balance of you don't want to train with somebody, and and uh, and feel like and and then to just know that you're just not even trying. Like that's also kind of rude. I roll with a guy who's two sixty, and he's just lackadaisical about it. He's bored. There's like he's not even trying. <laughs> he's not killing me. I'm doing all the offense, but he's really just just there just for me. Like that's not what you want to do either. You want to have. Yeah. Fun back and forth rolls, regardless of of what you're up against, skill level or size level. That's that's what we're here for. That's good stuff. Byron and I used to have this training partner who was 260, and you know he started about the same time as us. So you not like we had an advantage over this person, but uh, he would uh, basically just be rolling with us, and while he's rolling, he would be whistling. And it was more like he would just whistle to Baker, like, oh, there's nothing you can do. And, you know, that was kind of the attitude. But I just remember rolling with him, and it would make me so mad. I would just go at him even harder, and he would just whistle even more and then tap me out anytime he wanted to. But I don't think that's a good way to roll with somebody. Is he still rolling, Gary? <laughs> he is not, and Byron I, and I are. I bet. I was gonna say, I bet he's not. I bet you can find him downtown sometime and leg entangle that guy, and he'll hook the heck out of him. <laughs> well, it's funny that you said that, Joe, because we actually, I did meet up with him in a rolling with him about a couple years, you know, more than a couple years, probably five or six years later, and kind of had my way with him. So, um, but that's the cool thing about jujitsu. It's, it's a long journey. Uh, if you stick with it kind of like, uh, uh, was it last week or the week before our quote, you know, just staying with it and, um, we're going to get better. We're always going to improve if we just keep doing it. Pretty sure that was last week, Gary. I think that was one of the better quotes we've had on the show. Yeah. And it was also, I noticed for a lot of people said our best show ever. One of the best shows ever. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I totally agree on that one. That was an outstanding yep. interview. Well, you know, we kind of talked about, you know, the, the bad things for the big guy. You know, what about the small guy? Like, what are, you know, some things we hear about the small people or, or you know, stuff that's against them, you know, going into the practice room? That's the, It seems like the table's set for the smaller grappler to just get, like, <laughs> supercharged training like all your training partners are bigger and stronger than you like that should be an environment where you know you're for, having to usually use technique and you know if you could if you could walk into one of the rooms where everybody's 20% stronger or 20% weaker than you you should pick the stronger room most of the time because that's just an environment where you're going to be pushed more but you know it could be frustrating being the smaller grappler consistently and and just having to you know what i'm today i'm i'm 100 pounds less or it can be like 10 or 15 pounds less like it doesn't always the size it it doesn't matter where it tips when it tips it tips and the person feels a lot stronger and heavier than you i know guys my own size that that feel like they're a lot stronger than me and it's it's just just like man he might as well be heavier because he we grapple like he is but so the weight the numbers don't really matter but when you're only somebody who can control things, dictate things, and use strength as an answer to solve a lot of problems. That gets frustrating. And that, <laughs> that so just I acknowledge that. Like, if it's frustrating doing jujitsu because everybody seems stronger than you, that is frustrating. <laughs> 
there are answers to this, but I think it's one of those things that it feels good to hear it say, like hear it be said, that sucks. That's frustrating. You're going to have to work really hard to get this to work. And that guy is going to need to work on you. And he just saw it today. That's annoying. And, uh, in, in just part of that, that growth thing that we're talking about, you're going to have setbacks, you're going to have failures, learn from them and try to grow and be better. But I think just having like that, that ear to, to talk to or say, Hey man, this sucks. Uh, like these techniques are hard for me to do because everybody's strong with me. Um, we hear those complaints. <laughs> it's like that thing when you call like a, a complaint line or you call customer service and you want to complain to somebody and they just listen to you and you vent for a minute and you feel better. Like that's, <laughs> that's real. Like you do feel better when you say, yeah, man, I bought these cookies and they were all dried out and made me sick or whatever. By the time you're done talking about these terrible cookies, you feel a little better. Like your complaints about being the, not a strong person on the, on the mat, they're valid in the fact that it's harder for you to jujitsu. It's it, yeah, it's frustrating sometimes to do jujitsu, especially when you're smaller. We yeah, hear but, that, Byron. I think one of the re- things that makes it frustrating is <clears throat> there are some advantages that the smaller guys have, and I just I don't think they realize it. And I think once they realize it, they can exploit them. Bigger usually means slower, uh, less nimble, uh, less range of motion a smaller gas tank. I mean, there are some things about being the bigger guy that are not necessarily advantageous. And I think for the little guys, once they start to figure that out, um, then the tables start to turn a little bit and things start to become equal. So for you little guys out there, trust (laughs) me, you are faster than me. If you see my back, you can take it. You know, Um, if you see an inch of space, you can move inside of it. And I think once you start to realize those things, then things start to equalize a little bit. Yeah. You know, sometimes I don't know. I almost hate rolling with the little guys. And when I say hate, they're harder for me to roll with, you know, and, uh, when we're really going at it and, uh, you know, it just seems like s- some of the littler guys on the smaller side who've, who've been doing it a long time, they have really got good at everything. You know, they've been always going against people that are bigger than them. So, you know, they've been training, you know, for months, years and, you know, just getting better each and every time, but their technique has to be so on point uh, to make stuff work against bigger people that, you know, when they have been doing it long, man, some of those guys are just incredible with their technique. And, uh, like you said, Joe, a lot of times, you know, with their technique so good, you know, not only do they normally, normally, and I, and I can't say that because I roll with a lot of big guys who have great gas tanks, but, you know, it just makes their gas tank even better when they're rolling efficiently and, you know, with very good technique and, you know, flexibility and just movement, um, and speed, you know, that speed is, is, you know, a, a great advantage, but, uh, I, I have trouble with, uh, really sound, smaller people. They, uh, they frustrate me. They're, they're incredible. So I think, you know, the frustration side of it is just try to get the technique to, to work and, and gauge it with a, like a, a measuring stick against like the reality of it not working. Like it's going to be hard for me to Americana somebody who weighs me about 100 pounds. Does the technique work? Sure it works. Is it likely to work against somebody whose one arm is stronger than both of mine? Probably not going to work that great against that person. It's just 
like in reality, in in okay, jujitsu works great against. It's made for the small person to beat up the large if need be. Uh, like that's that's the design of jujitsu. But the problem is, both of these people that you're everybody you're trained with knows jujitsu. That's the problem, and 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 maybe you know you roll with a bigger person who's new. I wouldn't recommend just smashing them as a smaller person. Like just go out there, choke them nine times in five minutes. That's not necessarily the right thing to do, but just to feel how much easier it is. Like the size difference isn't everything. When somebody's a big, strong person and they don't know jujitsu, it should seem a bit easier than everybody else you train with because we all know jujitsu. And once you start gaining that knowledge base, it doesn't have to be very deep, and people become hard to tap. People become hard to attack. And uh, and just to get the occasional person who's uh, pretty big and not all that skilled, and, hey, the sweeps are working pretty good. This person really doesn't have a base. Could you believe how easy to sweep this big guy or you know take his back or whatever? And I think uh, I was talking with my wife about the size, you know, strong versus the, the not-so-strong grapplers. And sometimes she gets frustrated. She'll see a technique and think, that technique is basically engineered for somebody who's stronger uh, than the other person, and that's going to help that technique work a lot. And I can't say that that's the, like sure. Some techniques work that way, not all. And 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 like she's got a really good umaplata. That doesn't need size or strength to pull off umaplata. I like her having a great umaplata. That's a that's a great tool for her to have. Uh, same thing with her guillotines. Are really good. She doesn't need to be real strong to do a good guillotine. But there are some techniques that she doesn't really focus on. And, I, and and when we go to cl- if we go to class and the technique is like a strong person technique, it kind of bothers her like like this ain't gonna be anything good for me, but you can l- you're still learning about jujitsu. You're still increasing that knowledge base. You're still learning about that technique. It may not be something that you're applying to everybody, but there's a good chance it'll be applied to you someday. And to see it from both sides of the table is also important. Yeah, that that's equally as true from the big guy standpoint. You know, there's tons of techniques that bigger guys see, and they're like, "Yeah, I, I'm not going to be able to pull that off." And and honestly, you can sort of just half-ass it through the rest of that class when they're doing the teaching the technique and you're drilling it, um, because you think I'm never going to incorporate this in my game. But if you take that that uh, route, you're doing yourself a disservice because just learning the technique. And going through the motions, even if it's not something you put into your game, you're still developing good movement. And and like you said, Brian, uh, Byron, you're learning about the technique because you're bound to get caught in it from the other end someday. So don't ever just kind of go through the motions and half-ass it through a technique because you don't think it's going to fit in your game. There's always value into studying and learning that technique. Joe, great advice. I have been guilty of that myself when I first started. I remember uh, when I first started, I didn't like to play off my back. And, uh, you know, being a little bit older when I first started, I just thought stuff like inverting and triangles off my back would never, you know, really be my game. And I just remember uh, learning a triangle for the very first time. I'd been training, you know, maybe a month. And I just remember telling myself, "Uh, this move will never be my move. It's, uh, you know, I'm on my back. I'm throwing my legs in the air. I'm trapping somebody's head. This just doesn't seem like an older individual move. And, um, you know, I, I did what you said. You know, I, I kind of went at a half, you know, speed and really didn't put a lot of, a lot of into it. And, you know, never became my move. Uh, about a year into, I really started, uh, you know, we started learning, you know, 
learning again, you know, it came back around in the curriculum. And, um, at that point it, it started becoming a move. Uh, you know, my attitude was different at that point when I was young and didn't really know what I was doing. I thought some moves were going to be good for me. Some weren't, but, uh, just about everything I've ever said that I couldn't do, I ended up, it's become a move of mine. And, uh, I just think if we say that this is a big person's or a small person's move and, you know, let's say we're on the extreme, you know, either really big or really small, and we don't learn that move, we're just suffering. Uh, and anytime we, we put a limitation in our mind that this isn't going to be our move, I think, uh, you know, it's going to, you know, our learning will suffer. Yeah. And I found that all my coaches, they kind of almost enjoy the challenge. I'll say, uh, man, I'm not, I'm not being able to get my foot in there. I can't, I can't get the right angle and they'll come over and they'll kind of troubleshoot and they'll be like, well, Try shrimping out just a little bit more. Try try creating a little more space or or stiff arm them and, and they'll they'll puzzle through it and eventually, like you said, Gary, they'll find a way to make it work for you. Yep. My first instructor, I would used to run in that a lot. You know, I'm not a very flexible person either. And it would always seem like, you know, I needed to get a little more space, you know, either, like you said, with a stiff arm or shrimp a little bit more. And that solved a lot of problems. Um, but I also like what you said is they will uh, they would get down there and deconstruct it. And you just talked a little bit ago that uh, by, you know, teaching, you become better at it. So you think about your instructors by them deconstructing, you know, they're already really high level people. And you're probably thinking they're not learning a ton, you know, teaching a basic class like this, but they they are learning a ton and especially even learning more when they got to deconstruct this to help out Joe, you know, to make sure it works. And, you know, it's just putting more and more knowledge into their head and into your head. Yeah. You gotta be, you gotta be pretty good at jujitsu and a pretty good instructor to get anything through this, this thick skull. So. <laughs> <laughs> we, we already said both mine and yours. It's like a slogging through molasses. Yep. So when you're in that class and you're on one side of this spectrum and they're teaching something to the other side, let's say you're the, the you're 260 and they're showing uh, something where you invert and you turn your hips this way and you grab their foot here and you're like, this ain't happening. And <laughs> okay, that that might be true. You might try, you could troubleshoot it and you can maybe think, make it tweak it work for you a little bit there or whatever. But bare minimum, I don't want you to check out of this class mentally because you should at least know when I'm rolling with somebody, he's going to invert, he's going to do this, he's going to grab, he's going to move the hips like this, and then he's going to be looking to grab my ankle or my gi in this position here. And maybe when he goes to grab that, grab your gi, you, you deny that grip and the whole thing falls apart. Like to be able to reverse engineer things is a very good thing to do. Or to be able to see the next thing come in a little bit ahead of time, that's really important. And if you just stay ignorant to what they're trying to do because it's not going to be your game, you're going to miss out on some things. The the best, uh, like the easiest to explain for me, like how to change a move a little bit, uh, for, based on like the size of the person, is like a standing arm drag. If if you're a lot bigger than that person, you arm drag them and they come right to you, and you take their back, and you didn't have to move. And if you're a lot smaller than the person, you got to get up and move. You got to jump almost around them and take their back while they stand still like a statue almost. And I think that that's a real good example. Like, same technique, it just is totally different as far as who's moving based on the size of the people. That's that's always an example I like to play it throughout there. Yeah, that, that's a great illustration. That's like watching uh, 
a 150 pound pit bull and a little chihuahua playing tug of war. They're both doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Results are a little different. <laughs> We've talked a lot about uh, training and, and, and getting the most out of that uh, with different size partners. Uh, we could also talk about the absolute division in jiu-jitsu. And that's a little different than training because you, you enter something like this for a challenge and you want to do well. It's it's wise to expect to kind of see where you're at on the spectrum and to adjust things accordingly. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're 140 pounds and you just dominate your 140-pound division with a series of techniques that's designed to take these guys apart – those same techniques might not work real well against somebody who's got got you by 100 pounds. So you need to make a few adjustments when you enter something like this. And I, on the other hand, I've talked to lots of guys who, um, you know, like like the bigger guys, they have to, they work a lot on their takedowns because they really want to fight for that top control and they want to get those two points from starting. And, uh, you know, you work with a smaller guy, he'll, a lot of times they just pull guard on you. And so a large percentage of your training of working these takedowns just got taken off the table and it's not even relevant right now because the smaller grappler pulled guard and you just, you know, 30% of your training is doing nothing for you in this match. And, and you've got somebody who comes at you with speed and aggression with their guard that you're not used to and flexibility and they're in, you know, these different techniques that you maybe have been ignoring <laughs> in class. And so it's just... It's absolutely division is a fun one to watch, but as a competitor, you're going to have to uh, really rely on your training partners and and be in those matches or be in those training matches. You know what I'm saying? Where you know what I'm rolling with the big guy today, and I want him to roll pretty hard with me, and and, and we'll we'll see what we can tweak from there. Training safely, but you know if he gets me in a spot, he can smash me. You know, I don't want to get smashed for five minutes. Maybe we say, hey, I made some mistakes. Let's restart. Let's reboot this computer and uh, see how I could avoid him passing my guard or how I could take his back a little quicker, something like that. But you need to train uh, to deal with these opponents of different sizes. Yeah, and it's it's not infrequent. Every now and then you see uh, a really small guys winning the absolute divisions at uh, major tournaments. So uh, for you little guys out there, it is more than possible. Yeah, and even the big guys in the absolute tournament, you know, it's a lot of guts. Um, and l- let me just put it this way: is the big guys, first of all, everybody's against you. Uh, everybody always wants the little guy to win, and then secondly, uh, everybody's expecting you to win. Uh, the little guy is not expected to win, even though, like you said, Joe, it, it does happen. Um, but uh, most of the time, everybody's like, "Oh, the big guy should win," and this and that. So, you know, even just being a big guy and stepping out there and and, you know, going against these smaller people when, you know, all the pressure's on your back, everybody's expecting you to win. So, uh, you know, and that not only, you know, it just gets you that mental toughness that's, you know, not just going to help you in jiu-jitsu, but in life. Um, it's, uh, you know, all the everything stacked against you with the crowd-wise. Yeah, I've done numerous interviews. I can't think of anybody's name off the top of my head, but uh, where the person has won some absolute divisions and they're on the lighter end of the spectrum. And it's like they go out there and they've got nothing to lose. They're going to go have a good, hard role and try to play the game the best that they can. And they do well. Compared to their own division, they're expected to win. There's a lot more stress. If they lose, they shouldn't have lost. They had the answers to the problems that were presented and they didn't get them done correctly or whatever. 
so uh, that shows you the side of the mental game is being able to play without having the stress sometimes will really help you. But that's an advantage for the larger grappler. Like they, a lot of times they're thinking, I should be able to win this. That's stressful. You know, being the, being the underdog typically, you know, it's something like this is less stressful because it's, you don't have to so, like suffer these social, uh, you know, negative things that could happen as an underdog. It's not like we're doing an underdog and we're boxing or, you know, doing body slam competitions as an underdog. Like, those are miserable. <laughs> those <don't> exist. But, <laughs> like, like, the worst thing, you get smashed a bit and it's not fun. Um, but the, the, the point of jujitsu, even in competition, it should be safe. Like, you shouldn't, like, if you feel like you're going to get hurt, Hey, that's good enough, man. Even in competition, you want to be able to compete next month or the month after that, and you shouldn't be going home too busted up. Yeah, I think you've interviewed uh, Brandon Mullins before, and he's a smaller guy. Yeah, he's had some success in some uh, uh, um, open divisions before. In fact, he's got a whole DVD series on... uh, you know how to how to beat the bigger, stronger opponent. So if you're a smaller guy out there and you're not familiar with Brandon Mullins, uh, look him up and uh, look up his series on how to defeat the bigger, stronger opponent. Yeah, that's a that's a great resource. My personal like uh, favorite thing <laughs> uh, when rolling with somebody who's a lot bigger and stronger, and I'm actually um, like we're getting a good roll in. We're not you know just playing around i want to do well they want to do well um it's 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 a competitive role i want to be on their back (laughs) that's the spot i feel that their size or power advantage plays the least role is when i get their back do you guys have have a favorite spot to be or maybe uh, a spot where somebody who's smaller than you gets to and it's the most frustrating spot well, Byron, you're talking about being on the back with a big guy. And uh, you know the big guy I was talking about rolling with uh, before. Yeah. And I actually stopped, like, getting on his back. Uh, you know, he was so strong. A lot of times, you know, if I had him on his back as his legs were, you know, sitting out in front of me, he would end up somehow on all fours. And next thing you know, you would just roll over his shoulder. And it would be like a steamroller, you know, laying asphalt. And, uh, you know, I started getting to that point, you know, for safety reasons, I just like to uh, either go butterfly or a half guard. I just felt, you know, those are, you know, two guards I'm very comfortable with. But um, it just, I don't know, I think half guard, especially uh, if I use my frames, allows me to keep space when I'm feeling threatened and then I can also sneak up and, and waist grab when I'm feeling, you know, and getting close when I feel like I've I've found a found a way to you know to to close the distance. But yeah, I everybody tells me the back, but I guess I've had such bad experiences and felt like I almost got killed a couple times. I, I've kind of stayed away from the back. Yeah, as a bigger guy, I don't. Uh... I don't fear the little guy getting on my back all that much. I I generally try and just uh, put my weight on him and and, and hand fight. And uh, I, so far, knock on wood, I've had some success to defending against back attacks. But uh, I hate the open guard for when a little guy's got me in an open guard. I I can't get around. I can't get past. I can't smash. I mean, you know those those guys that are real flexible, uh, real 
mobile and quick. That that drives me nuts. That's good to know. <laughs> Work out some yeah. things. Uh, get, you know, and, and part of it is going to come to what you're comfortable doing. And, you know, Gary yes. Gary is wanting to play half guard with somebody who's bigger and stronger than them. To me, that's a bad idea. Like, I don't want to play half guard with that person because I'm going to lose my underhook game. They're going to end up smashing me. I'm going to have a bad time. <laughs> but, Byron, let's go back to you're going to get smashed. And, and Joe, you, you kind of talked about this uh Joe, both you and Byron have talked about really focusing on frames. And I know, Byron, you gave a little workshop on that at the uh, BJJ Brick event. And, you know, I had gotten thought, I thought I was so good at my half guard that, you know, my offense was so good for my half guard that, you know, I didn't really need frames. I just thought I could go and sweep people or, you know, get my offense rolling. And um, so my frames had really kind of, left you know being at the top of my you know thought process when i went into different uh you know you know when i went into actually rolling on the mat and just by you know i know joe you brought her up in an episode and then byron like kind of right after that you taught that that seminar there and it made me really focus on my frames after that and it made my half guard better against big people because I felt like now that my frames have gotten so good, you know, based on the help from you two and plus Tim Sled and Rolly Delgado made my frames better that it's hard for the big guy to smash me. And then it seems, you know, the big guy will make a mistake and I will get an underhook. And, you know, Byron, you're talking about losing that underhook game. And I, I feel like I did, you know, I will get it, you know, based off of, you know, frustrating somebody with frames. So, um, you know, thanks to you guys, you know, my half guard game against a larger individual has got better. It's good to hear, Gary. You got that growth mindset, and you're you're always wanting to get your game to be better. <laughs> but I guess just from like a thing, look for parts of your game that would match up well with against bigger or smaller people, and try to get those into the into the mix. If you've got if you're not comfortable being on somebody's back, and and I, in Gary's situation, that person really didn't care about Gary's safety, which is a whole different issue. Uh, yes, like that's that's the problem. When I'm on someone's back, uh, I don't like them to necessarily be on like belly down. I like to be next to them, you know, like on our sides. Um, belly down's not bad if I have you know them flattened out, but that's hard to do to a bigger person. So that, like I'm really wanting to keep them um, us on our sides and work from there. And uh, I haven't had the the people try to just roll and not care about my safety like that from that <laughs> position. But you know, like. It's just a little mix of your past experiences and what you're good at. And then that's part of what you're learning when you're rolling with somebody who's a lot stronger or smaller than you. What worked well, what didn't work well, and then make adjustments accordingly. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu, like we're not fighting models of ourselves. We're, we're, we're trying to adapt our Jiu-Jitsu to fight other people. That's part of the fun. When that's part of like the challenge. To, wouldn't you like to fight a model of yourself, though? Yeah, but— You know, I would like to— you know, roll with myself from a year ago and two years ago and three years ago. I think that'd be cool. But sorry, I took us off those, topic. Those, uh, the, the thing about those Garys is they keep getting more and more handsome. <laughs> 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 that, that would be an interesting, interesting concept we can't really just, like, mess with. But you, your jiu-jitsu is 
trying to match up against other people's jujitsus, and that even if you're the same size and weight and strength, even you're good at different things. And so a lot of times it's just solving a puzzle, or it's like this puzzle does not fit well against that puzzle. You don't do well. It's not always like you know, fire puts out water, and um, you know, rock paper scissors type of a matchup where this beats that every time and that beats that every time. It's it's just a it's like a complicated puzzle you're trying to solve, and definitely size and strength and speed and stamina always take a factor and 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 affect the results. But not any one of them is the like answer to everything. And I think it's a big boost for jujitsu in general. So Gary, Gary and I had this guy. He mentioned him already. <laughs> it's kind of funny. We keep talking, but. We're pretty new at Jitsu. This guy smashes. He whistles. He's having. He's not even trying. He's killing us. And then, wouldn't you know it, uh, Jason Bircher, we'll, we'll name drop when it's a positive thing, uh, comes in town, and he's a purple belt at the time. And Which was unheard his, of. He taps this guy belt. out easily. All like it's just tap, tap here, tap over there. We don't have to get a guillotine. There's a guillotine over there. Arm bar for you. Like, no problem. And when I saw that, it's like okay, <laughs> jujitsu does work. I just haven't got the level he's at now, and I think that that was a good confidence boost. Yeah, I remember Byron. You, you've brought this up many times. I remember you talking about it and just the awe. Um, and the thing is, I missed it. I, I was there <laughs> that day, but I must have been rolling and really wasn't watching it because I remember how you told so much about it, and you know, just little things like that can keep people in jiu-jitsu and and it's not like you're just wanting to watch that guy get beat up you just see how much you still have to learn and i mean jason's not a big guy and jason just toyed with this person and you know i just remember you were like man i can't wait till i can get to that level and the great thing is Byron's still saying that to the same day i can't wait till i get to jason's level because jason's getting better every day Byron's getting better every day. Everybody who's training is getting every better every day. It's the person who dropped off that isn't getting better. And uh, so this is just something. It's a it's a lifelong sport that uh, we're always going to be a better version of ourselves. Yeah, that's funny. You, you missed it, Gary. And I and I don't think that that was like a pivotal moment for me. Pivotable. Uh, a pivotal. <laughs> I can't even say that. Byron, as much as you talk about it, I really <laughs> felt like it was a pivotal. Yeah, maybe it one. was, but it's. I think that because the, you you had awe. There was so much awe that you were just like, I can't believe this. I think I, um, I basically learned that that it worked. I gained like I okay. Jason's great at jujitsu, but I gained confidence in jujitsu itself. Because, you know, you see, like, Hoyt's Gracie on TV doing it. That's great. and, and then, But all these times I'm presented with this problem of this large guy, I couldn't solve that riddle. And Jason walked in and solved it without any trouble. And it was like, it does work. Like, if I keep at this, it'll work for me too. And I think that that's, that's something that, that you should realize, even if you don't see that example, that, you know what, the, the big guy in your class that just annihilates you every day in training like Kyotera would just destroy that guy <laughs> his 140 pound frame or however much he weighs he would just annihilate him and they wouldn't have any trouble with it now whether that's frustrating or a cool thing I think that's a really cool thing about jujitsu 
it's just he's dedicated his life to learning and he's one of the best person people out there but it's just it works you know you have to have the right strategy and, and the right techniques behind it but it can work keep working at it and that might help with you with some of your frustrations you know byron listen to you ramble i mean listen to you talk there <laughs> ramble is just, the key word ramble is accurate Something just occurred to me that uh, I, I never really thought about before. But imagine if you went golfing on a regular basis, like you went once a month, went to the same course every month with your friends. Um, but in between times when you went, they they made the distance between the tee and the green just a little bit longer, and they put in just a little more, a few more sand traps. Uh, they made the greens just a little faster. You know, they they increased the level of difficulty a little bit each time. So you're golfing every month, year after year, you're getting better, but your score never changes. Imagine how frustrating that would be. And, and to an extent, that's how jiu-jitsu is. Yeah. yeah, because it's it's not a static thing like golf where the course is the same week after week. Everybody that you're rolling with is getting better every week as well. So it can be very difficult in jiu-jitsu to, um, to see the progress that you're making. That's Joe, complete, completely yeah. off topic, but uh, I like it. No, Joe. Yeah, I've never thought of it that way, but that is what jujitsu is. So, I mean, nothing's ever the same. Even if you go against the same person every day, you know, let, let's just say no other variables change. That person's learning stuff. When you get done with your role, that person, you know, I can tell you just about all of us do this. Let's say me and Joe roll for two hours, and when we're done, we shake hands and say, "Hey, Joe, I'll see you tomorrow." But while I'm while I'm leaving and while I'm at home, I'm thinking about, man, Joe did this to me. What can I do to change that? You know, is there a way to beat this that Joe does? So, you know, that person's scheming against you. Plus, you know, it's like I'm up to the tee and that guy's throwing golf balls at me. You know, it's uh, it's just making everything that much tougher. And uh, I love that analogy, Joe. That's that's jujitsu, you know, to a T, no pun intended. <laughs> Good one, Gary. <laughs> uh, one more thing here on the on the bigger and smaller grapplers. You could change. So if if you are a hundred or two hundred sixty pound grappler, and some of that's extra, you could get you could you could lose some weight, and maybe you you feel like your stamina's increased, or maybe your mobility's increased, or you know that like you gain some benefits from from dropping a little bit. Same thing on the other side. If you weigh 115 pounds and you're, I don't know, let's just say six feet, like you're a pretty lanky guy, pretty skinny, this could change. But you change. can get up to 300 pounds. <laughs> Even adding – so like when I when I went from weighing around 160 to 170, my teammates noticed. My strength changed. I didn't yeah. change 10 people, pounds stronger. Yeah. I People were like, man, you feel like you're a lot stronger. It, like these these numbers are just numbers, and they're dials you could change. Uh, none of them are set in stone, and, and if you want to gain you know a few pounds of muscle, it isn't that hard. And now now to gain forty pounds of muscle and to go from like a lightweight to a heavyweight, that's a whole different project. But to gain uh, you know hit the weights a couple times a week and change your diet, that's that's not that difficult, and and and, and it's it would definitely tilt the scale back or maybe push you from one end of the spectrum towards the middle of that spectrum. If your goal is to win an absolute division, 
and you're 140, maybe at 155, it's quite a bit easier. I don't know where that scale tips and it makes a big factor, but uh, like these numbers change and you can control them. And, and like we're at the end of the year and a lot of people listen to this at the beginning of the next year. This is a great time to make these changes in your life just because it's a reminder that the time ticks by. You know, these these things, usually you're headed one way or the other, uh, which direction you want to head. Uh, you know, if you're tired of being the small person on the mats, you know, put together a workout routine and, and, and gain a few pounds of muscle. If you're tired of being tired <laughs> every time you roll for five minutes and, and, and you feel like, um, you know, people are just intimidated from rolling with you because you're, you know, so much bigger and than everybody maybe losing some weight if you have some extra isn't a bad plan so i don't think i think that the problem is we kind of think of ourselves as i'm i'm the i'm the small grappler that's what i am or i'm i'm the big guy in class and that's okay but if you don't like that you could change it yeah byron i think my new year's goal for the you know upcoming year, I'm going to try to gain 110 pounds. Dang it! I think that's going <laughs> to be my goal. This whole, I'm going to say this right now. This whole episode just backfired. <laughs> and I'm going to roll with you a lot. <laughs> well, I'm going to backpedal here and just say that uh, you know Gary mostly uses strength anyway, and uh, that's why he's such a good grappler. <laughs> but you know, let's go back to strength or whatever. You ever notice like? It's a, it's not a compliment in jujitsu if you tell somebody, man, you're strong. And, you know, people take that as, oh, man, you're basically saying I don't have the technique. And um, uh, kind of weird in, you know, jujitsu that way. So, uh, agreed. I, I do give it as a genuine compliment if I say, yeah. uh, hey, I, you've got strong hands. Or, man, you've got, your legs are really strong. Like, if you yeah. pick a, a part of it that they're actually like using well. And it's, it seems like to me more times than not, it's the hands. Like I can't break someone's grip. That's a genuine compliment. It's not, I'm not complaining about their lack of technique. It's like, man, you got good, strong hands. Yeah. Well, Byron, I like that you said that because I actually gave a compliment to somebody who was really technical, but really strong, you know, just all over. Like, you know, he'd grab, grab me or whatever. And I was like, man, this dude is strong. And when we were done, you know, we slapped hands or whatever. And I was like, man, you're really strong. And I saw the kind of look, and I was like, no, I didn't mean it that way. You know, but I, I like what you say. You know, say why you're really strong. Your grip is really strong. Your legs are, you know, really strong or, or something of that sort. I like that. Yep, and nobody ever tells the limber guy, don't use your flexibility. <laughs> yeah. or, the, or the fast guy, don't be quick. Yeah, so or I, the I guy with great cardio, please yeah, gas I, out quick. Yeah, I rolled with a, a kid, I guess it was a week or so ago. And he was doing a scissor sweep, and he pulled it off, well, one time really well. Uh, he made a couple other attempts. And what I liked about it was he was really powering into it. You know, a lot of times guys will sort of go to their hip, and they'll put their top leg in position and kind of hook their foot on your ribs, and they've got their grips, and they sort of pause there for a minute, and then they sort of do the move with there's no explosiveness. Man, this guy, like, when he was setting it up, as he's getting in position, instead of pausing, right at that moment, he, he would just explode. And, I mean, like, put me on my back. And, you know, I made sure and told him afterwards that that is great technique. You know, that that's not using your strength as in just muscling through something. But you're a big, strong guy, and you're exploding at exactly the right time. 
That's awesome. Yeah. No, I guess uh, no. When it when a compliment's actually a compliment, and when uh, if you're the big guy and everybody complains about you being strong, maybe those are actual complaints and not compliments. You know, you, you see, like uh, like a like a pretty person. Uh, I notice more females, but uh, we'll put like a picture on Facebook, and everybody, goes, okay, we get it. You're pretty. <laughs> like like that's a compliment. Uh, it depends on the person and who's who's saying that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we get it. You're strong. Uh, but if everybody's saying like describes you as the strong guy, maybe you're, 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 you're training a little bit too much on the strong side of things. Cause the point is to learn jujitsu. Your strength will always be there for you. And, and Joe mentioned self-defense. You definitely want that strength there for you when your life is on the line. You don't want to gate things back and play nice and that sort of thing. <laughs> you want to, you want to survive. Um, but you, yeah, it's, there's different things, but you want to be able to train in an environment. People are happy to train with you. And, uh, and and get good quality roles that you both learn from. That's I guess the big goal of this big show <laughs> is is if you're the larger person on the mat, be a good training partner. If you're a smaller person on the mat, be a good training partner. That and and find out what that means. You could ask your coach and say like a lot a lot of the big guys that are gym will just say was using too much strength, and sometimes. I'll say if if I was new, yes, but I'm comfortable with this level. Or you know what? That's why I tapped because you had my head and you're going to crush it like a grape. I'd rather not have that happen in my head. Uh, so just I think communicating with your teammates, with your coaches, uh, you know, am I, asking questions. Am I using too much strength? Am I am I relying on this this category or this uh, trait too much? Uh, is a good way to to make sure you're not doing anything crazy because everybody knows it. A lot of times, but the person actually doing it. <laughs> so I'll tell you. Anything else, gentlemen, on this uh, big topic? Well, I think that was the large and small of it, Darren. <laughs> yep, that's the long and short of it. We've got Joe found an article. What did you find for us, Joe? Yeah, I found it on uh website, BJJ World. They've got some good, site, uh, good articles on here. And this one is, um, let's see. BJJ White Belt Survival Kit, five essential tips for beginners. So we cover these type of articles a lot. They're fun. They're easy to cover. They're, you know, five bullet points. And uh, one of the things I liked about this one was the first thing I do when I see an article like this is I just go down and look at all the bullet points before I actually read the article. And that kind of tells me if it's something I might be interested in. So I looked at this one. I thought, yeah, those are you know all all good points but each one of them the author kind of took it a little bit of a different direction than i was expecting an example is the first one was accept your status and honestly when i read that i thought he was going to talk about how oftentimes the first few months first year jujitsu is a lot of getting smashed a lot of getting worked um and you know just sort of accept that but he was going more from the uh uh, perspective of you're just going to be lost a little bit. Jiu-Jitsu is a complex martial art and you're just not going to know what's going on all the time. And one of his key points in this first uh, first point was don't be afraid to ask questions. And I thought, how many times have I been in class where the instructor will say something, let's use the Oma Plata as an example. It'd be like, we're going to work the Oma Plata tonight. We're going to start close guard, uh, go for an arm bar. Your opponent's going to defend and pull his arm out, and then we're going to do the Oma Plata. 
Before we get to the omoplata, is there anybody that's not clear on how to set up and execute the arm bar? And sometimes nobody will raise their hand and you're looking around and you're thinking, I know there's guys in here that are not proficient at the arm bar yet. And they're missing an opportunity by not raising their hand and saying, yeah, coach, I could use some pointers on the arm bar before we move on. Sometimes it might be me, you know, a, a different technique. And don't be afraid to raise your hand and say, yeah, coach, I don't quite get that yet. Can you show me one more time? So I really like that first point. Accept the fact that it's complex and do not be afraid to ask questions. Joe, that actually makes me think of you. Do not be afraid to ask questions. Um, BJJ Brick event, we had Raleigh Delgado or Rolly Delgado come in and uh, teach a, uh, his leg lock seminar. Joe actually got a hold of Rolly, asked him what would help him before the seminar, uh, you know, so that he'll understand more at the seminar. And uh, Joe asked that question. He worked on the advice Rolly gave him for a month or so beforehand, and, and I bet you got a lot more out of it. it just by asking a question, accepting the status, and, uh, you know, really made a big difference. Yeah, it, it really did. And one of our friends, Andy Dickey, who was also there, he had asked me the same thing. And I said, hey, coincidentally, you asked me. I said, I asked Rolly, and here's what he said. And Andy said he actually took a couple of private lessons and just focused on the key things that Rolly suggested. And uh, it's similar to the example I gave, armbar to omoplata. It's, it's what leads up to the technique. Sometimes it's really key. And, and so that's yeah. a great, great point. And I remember that you said uh, what leads up to the arm bar. And I remember, uh, you know, we were working leg locks, but uh, he wanted you to work the single leg X, uh, you know, that w- works up to the straight ankle lock. And uh, yep. he, you really worked on that and uh, helped you understand more. Um, second point he talks about is injury prevention. And we have talked about this a lot. Um, you know, first of all, we can't learn, you know, if we're injured. And, um, you know, so happen is a good thing and, and i'll tell you when i first started byron and i started together and i've told this story many times byron's learning curve was a lot better than mine when we first started i i you know wasn't the great student byron was byron had got one real good move right off the bat and he would always arm bar me from the guard and i would not tap as soon as i should and uh you know that basically stalled my prop progress a little bit i mean you know think about it uh you know tapping is good as the the author says a tap gives you a direct way out and allows you to regroup and consider that is how we're going to learn injury free and uh you know if i'm injured you know by not tapping i'm not doing myself any service or my teammates because they, they need me in there also to learn but another way to stall your progress is through progress is being the class spaz and you know if you're that guy who's kneeing people in the face all the time um that's going to make people avoid you and uh as we all know we can't train by ourselves and and get any good so uh injury prevention is a is a big thing to uh learn there as a white belt yeah it's definitely the one of the biggest reasons why people stop going to jiu-jitsu they get hurt and nobody wants to do something that like, hey, let's check this out, see if it's cool for me. Oh, wait, I got hurt. That's a pretty big negative. <laughs> you, you've got to learn how to train safely. It, what drives me nuts is, is the it's always it's always new people who tap really soft. Like they like they don't really want to admit. They're like, yeah, okay, let's tap, tap. Like 
that's a conversation every time that happens to me. If I if I roll with somebody and they're like soft tapping me, and like it's questionable whether they're like what's going on here, I say, hey man, this is your safety on the line, and I don't want to hurt you. I need to know if you want me to stop doing this technique. Like usually it'll be a, a choke versus something that's a little more like damaging to like a limb. But if you're soft tapping on a choke, tap. If you want to, you should be wanting this to stop right now. And and so when you decide to tap, uh, make sure I feel it. And prefer, you know, don't tap on the mat. Tap on me if at all possible. If you could say tap, that's perfectly fine too. Uh, you definitely want me to stop doing what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing, and I know you're close. That's why I felt the soft tap. But some other person who may not be as experienced or maybe another new person, they're not going to feel the soft tap, or they might question it. It's that, like that's a disaster. <laughs> like yeah. uh, I don't like to train with people who don't know how to appropriately tap because it's so dangerous. It's it's just a ridiculous thing. And the, the the thing that gets him is it just screams that you're new. Like like no other way like like to say hey I'm brand new at this is to start doing like really soft taps and not like that that to me says this person has less than a few hours on the mat experience. If you want to act like you know what you're doing a little bit, tap like you mean it <laughs> and be safe. Now, going on the list here, he, he mentions respecting the academy. And uh, and one of the ways you do that is you know how you're acting and, and, and how you're holding yourself throughout the class. Another big way is your personal hygiene. And uh, typically, you know, as adults in regular life, we're not all that close to each other and up in each other's spaces. Uh you wouldn't know it all the time. But if if you're having a little bit of a hygiene issue, we're going to notice in jiu-jitsu. <laughs> and it, it, jiu-jitsu is one of the rare activities, physical, like a sport you do, where it's perfectly okay to shower before you do it and then shower again after you do it if that's what you need to do to be clean on the mats. Gary? And, you know, we go back to uh, injury prevention. Uh, you know, we're staying on the mats and – if you're not cleaning your gi or, you know, making sure your your hygiene is top-notch, black belt level, I may be off the mats because I caught ringworm from you. Um, and, and like I said, I want to be on the mats as much as possible. So uh, we owe it all to each other to stay home when we're sick, to uh, make sure our gear is clean so uh, we're not going to infect anybody else. Yeah, there's a lot here on this article. Anything else you guys want to highlight? Well, Let's skip to the last one and let's just touch on this one a little bit. Uh, it says ask and write. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I can't uh, tell you how much I agree with this. Everybody does differently, but the more you can kind of document your training, write down what you're learning, what your goals are, I think the better it is for your experience and your learning curve. So whether you do a journal, whether you have an app on your phone where you keep track of things, yeah, the more you write down, the better. And, of course, don't be afraid to ask questions. Yep. that's a, And that kind of goes back into putting yourself into that role. It's okay to not know things. <laughs> if you have a question, ask it. People like to help other people do better in jiu-jitsu. And, the, and the, I guess you get – and every school is run differently, so uh, you maybe you have to ask all the – questions to your instructor but a lot of times just ask your person you're training with they might have the answer for you you know if you're a new person you're training with a blue belt blue belts know a ton about jujitsu well you know am i doing this right they should be helping you and uh there's so many resources on the mat um 
you should be at. You should like one of the big things you need to do when you start jiu-jitsu is find some people that you're comfortable asking questions to. Find people who make you feel like you don't want to feel like an idiot when you ask a question. So if you ask, if I ask Joe a question and he's like, "Oh, that's easy. Just do this." So you should have learned that a long time ago. I asked Gary the same question. He's like, "Oh, yeah, good question. I'll show you this." Okay, Gary's my guy. I'm going to ask questions to. It's a process I had to learn, but once you find these people, they're your resource. Use them and ask those questions. So, yeah. That was a good article, and Joe. It was. Thanks. Uh, it's nice to stumble on things like that now. <laughs> it's not like you wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> nope. It's nice to find those things. Uh, BJJ World is a informative site, so go there and check it out, guys. Speaking of questions, Gary, I got a question for you. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, so let me say, first of all, I really appreciate it when you put the extra work in and you write an audio book that, uh, <laughs> coincides with the show. And I appreciate that. So tell no, us about I always your, try to make the show a little bit better. Yeah. Tell us about your uh, upcoming audio book that you're working on. Uh, good things come in small packages. I guess, you know, a thing or two about small packages. So tell us about your new book, Gary. Yeah, well, uh, you know, <laughs> like they say, good things come in small packages, and um, you who know, says uh, that? come on, Gary, really, who says that? You know, I've heard, I've heard that one, and I've heard it's not the size size of your wand; it's the amount of magic in your wand. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I've heard stuff like that all my life. That's um, Harry but, Potter one hundred and one. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, you you know, I've already came out with this basically audio book you know four or five years ago but what i've done in this one is good things come in small packages but if you see the back you know big packages are preferred is what the back of the book says and what we're talking about here is you know first of all we talk about the benefits of having a small package which there are none so gary you're losing this man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You're losing the anonymity of the, uh, of the topic. <laughs> Money comes in a small package. Uh, diamond would be in a fairly small package. Now, now uh, wait, would you rather have a bigger diamond or a smaller diamond? They all I mean, fit in a small box, Gary. <laughs> let's take let's take money. Okay. Would I rather have an armored truck filled with money or an envelope filled with $200 bills? Ooh. Well, is it well, are there pennies have. in the armored truck, Gary? No, no pennies at all. <laughs> but, I mean, I think most people would rather have more. Um, you know, it's just like if I get an ice cream cone, I don't want a single scoop. I want a double. Yeah, that's, that's what that's she true. said. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the... I'm the interested gist, in this, Gary. How are you going to save this? This will be great. The gist of this audiobook is all about enhancement. You know, like, Byron, you were talking about... If you're the small guy, you know, to become bigger, you know, you said you could start lifting weights, you know, you could do a bunch of stuff. So what we're going to talk about is how to enhance ourselves. So, you know, let's say you got small biceps, you know, how are we going to get bigger biceps? You know, there's a bunch of ways to do it. You know, we're going to do a lot more curls as Joe and I talked about last week. We're going to do barbell curls in the squat rack, you know, just to uh, drive people crazy in the gym. We're going to eat a lot of protein. That drives, people, Gary, that drives people crazy. I've been doing that all the well, time. That's why. And checking my phone it, while I'm while taking the bench makes as well. So, I mean, we're going to talk about how to make your biceps bigger. We're going to talk about, you know, how to make your traps bigger. 
how to make your quads bigger. So, I mean, you know, they're every body part we have, we can make it a bigger package. And, uh, you know, some of it may be due surgical enhancement, but is what would be better to have butt implants? Uh, and I know you've had, well, you've only had the left one because you haven't been able to afford both of them, but I know you had your left implant. That's right, Joe. You or, only had the left implant. <laughs> or you could do a bunch of squats and, you know, make both your gluteus the same size. Make them um, both maximus. So, yeah. So, I mean, we, we go in depth about how to make uh, packages bigger. And, I mean, who who else could we have? But we brought in all the experts about packages. You know, I brought in the local UPS guy. I brought in the FedEx <laughs> guy. I brought in all the experts on packages. And um, so uh, I think it's a really good uh, really good uh, audiobook. Yeah, the, I guess the, the guys delivering the packages, the women and men doing that job, uh, prefer the packages to be smaller. You know, though, that's <laughs> what a slacker would say, Byron. That's, that's where I'm like at. Joe, you know, let's say it's Joe and I. We want the bigger package. And the reason we want the bigger package is going to make us stronger. As we're hauling, you know, 50-pound packages, we're going to get stronger in our back, in our core, in our arms. Byron, you want to walk around with that, you know, puny package. That's true. And that puny package isn't going to make you any better. And so, uh, and it gets know, embarrassing from time to time as yeah. well. Kudos to people like Joe and I who really uh, want to haul that bigger package around. <laughs> yeah, we're willing to train in the adult class, Byron. That's, yeah. yeah. So that, that's that's the first part of Gary's book. Um, he gets into like some technical things in jiu-jitsu, and one of his favorite things to attack is the pinky toe, the smallest package attackable. And he does a toe hold where all the leverage is just slammed onto that little pinky toe. And uh, it's particularly brutal. And he has a few other techniques in the book where he's attacking the smallest. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be terrible as well. <laughs> yeah. This is a hard one to work with, Joe. <laughs> well, it's definitely hard to work with. And, and you know, you know I love to attack that pinky toe. And anybody who tuned in last week, you know, when Joe and I were on, know I have a really hard time attacking Byron's pinky toe because... He has webbed feet. There you go. So, um, you know, what I do a lot of times if I go with Byron is instead of attacking that toe either straight up or straight down, I pull the toes apart to rip that webbing, and then I attack. So you learn a lot of different things like that, little ways to get around things like webbed toes, um, you know, fungal infections, um, different ways to, uh, you know, attack those toes and stay safe, you know, from the infections, from the webbed toes. Because... I know, Byron, you've had a major problem with uh, chafe feet, you know, uh, fungal infections due to that webbing, you know, because a, a lot of bacteria gets caught in there. And, like, I remember one time you even said you found a peanut butter sandwich in the <laughs> webbing. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that can happen. And, uh, you know, I want to give you all the hints to keep you safe and keep you on the mat. Yeah, you fall asleep at Gary's house one time and you end up with peanut butter sandwich between your toes. I don't know what Carrie did, man. <laughs> Way to turn that back. <laughs> Good. Uh, hey, it, you know what? This is uh, this episode, like most episodes, I, I consider them pretty much like uh, evergreen, as in they're not going to really expire. The topics we cover, the people we interview, we talk about things that just aren't about the weekend. Uh, but right now, 
we're at the end of the year, 2018. You could be listening to this to the middle of 2019 or 2020. It doesn't really matter. Uh, we do want to say Happy New Year uh, to those of you who are ringing it in as you listen. Uh, and Gary mentioned setting a goal and, and reaching that in the new year. I think that's a, that's a great thing to do. If you're, it, But the problem for, that I always have with New Year's resolutions is people wait to start them. That it's, it's December, you know, 28th, and, you know, when the new year hits, this is, I'm going to start doing this. If it's important to you, start it now. If it's July or April, it doesn't matter. If you, if you have a goal that's important to you, you should start this or listening to the podcast, like right now. Like if you want to you start eating healthy tomorrow, your next meal, not tomorrow, but your next meal should be healthy. These things, if it's important to you and it's important enough to make it a goal, start it. Like <laughs> that's what's frustrating with me about New Year's resolutions is people uh, will, it will pick out a good one and then they show it disrespect by delaying it. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. Start it. It, it. You are important. Your goal is important. Start on the journey right now. Whether you listen to this, it, it, it may not be January or the end of December when you listen to this. Your goals, you're an important person. Your goals are important. Start these goals now. You know, Byron, that's what I really like about you. You know, you treat your your resolutions, you know, you put them up there at the top. You know, they're really, really important. And you're going to stick with it and you're going to do it all the time. And like I know a couple of weeks ago, you told Joe and I that you were going to, you know, check your prostate every day. And I know <laughs> you've been doing it because I just watched you. You know, right here while we're doing the show, you just checked yourself again. So uh, I know you're doing about every hour. So, you know, basically follow after Byron. He really takes care. You know, he really sticks with his resolutions. And also, don't shake his hand. <laughs> but I didn't wait till the beginning of the year to, to start my resolution. Yeah, you started, I started as soon as that you told minute me. as we were talking. Yep. And uh, that, that, that to me is the, the big one for New Year's is start it now. And uh, it's it also goes to that first thing of you remember one to five percent of the stuff you learn or you read or whatever. So if it's important, try it right now. Uh, there's no better time. I also want to throw out our uh, our Patreon supporters. They mean a ton to us. So thank you guys. If you want to support this podcast and help keep it growing and going in the right direction, uh, starting it now would be a great thing to do. <laughs> Uh, most people kick in like a dollar per episode. We got a few Patreon supporters that are kicking in $3 per episode. That's amazing. Really appreciate that. If you want to send us a buck an episode, uh, we'll be excited to have you on the team of Patreon supporters. We'll maybe get a five inch BJJ brick gee patch anywhere in the world. And I'll also throw a sticker in that envelope as well. It's a BJJ brick sticker, not just a regular sticker. And, uh, you're invited to the private, private Facebook group to join us in some of the uh, discussions we have behind the scenes about the podcast and any articles that we may have questions about or whatever. It's a good place to hang out and chat with us. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys for the support us on Patreon, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes if that's something that you want to join in. And why wait till the beginning of the next year? <laughs> Start it now. If it's, if, if it's important to you, we'd like to have you uh, be a Patreon supporter today. We'll see if that gets us like a thousand more supporters, uh, you know, the start it now thing. <laughs> <laughs> also, right now, you might as well go uh, check us out on Facebook and other social medias. Joe has been doing great. Uh, being He's like the Facebook manager. 
Oh, that, that's an awesome title. Does that come with the raise? Yes. It's another, a promotion. Uh, another 40% uh, <laughs> raise. <laughs> yeah, check us out. Uh, and I really appreciate when people comment and interact. And uh, yeah, so check us out there. Check out our YouTube channel. Byron's got some great content on there. Uh, Byron recently put out a really good article that came with the video. So check us out on social media. Give us a like, give us a share. Uh, and if you like the show, make sure and tell your friends about it. Yep. And Gary had one really more important thing to say. Go ahead, Gary. Yes. If you have any questions or would like to talk to us, just send us an email at bjjbrick <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> nice. I didn't, uh, that was an attempt to just throw Gary out there and see what he would do. And he, he hit, he hit a, he hit, he hit a, uh, wild pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we had some dead air, but not, not from Gary. <laughs> not for me. Guys, stay I sweaty. I a small package, but I, uh, <laughs> I think quick. <laughs> got to work with what you got, Gary. You were dealt the hand. You got to play it. Yep. Oh, I play with my hand a lot. <laughs> stay sweaty, <laughs> my friends. And don't forget to shower. Train hard, train smart, get better, guys. We'll see you on the mats. Oh, you're killing me. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu.